Kaya FM podcast. The Law Report with Michael Mutuning Bill. On Kaya 959. On the street. On the air. This is Kaya 959. My name is Michael Mutsuning. Bill, good to be with you on the Law Report. As always, we're talking law. And something that um, unavoidably we have to talk about this evening is the issue of monarchs in South Africa. And it's been it's been long a long debate that's taken many shapes and forms over the last many hundred years. Um, and I think I think a discussion is quite necessary. You know, there's there's arguments and supposed fights around succession. How does that all work? How did this all begin? And uh, helping me to understand are people who are very much experts in the field. It's not just experts in the um, affairs of, of the Zulu people, but it's we, 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 we've, we've diversified. We're going to be looking at at least three point of views. Um, we're looking at um, different monarchs and, and, you know, some interesting facts in preparation of the show um, that I've learned around just how many kingships are, are out there and how many are going to be phased out it's 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 it's, it's beautiful you want to you want to be part of this journey um you want to hear some of the insights because i mean as somebody who you know we all in we we're, we're, we're a radio station we our point of view around monarchs there's never been a monarch that we know i know there's a there's there's possibly something around twani but around here you know i'm a township boy these things are to a large extent quite foreign and and I think if you're a township boy like me you want to know and you want to you know absorb as much as possible just so that we learn but also if you are from uh, uh, these areas where you are a subject of one of these monarchs absolutely this is an interesting show for you because we're not just looking at it what it is today we're looking at it how, what how has it become what it is today that's Law Report. The Law Report with Michael Mutsuning Bill. On Kaya 959. On the street. On the air. As always, I look forward to having your input, your thoughts, your contribution. And if you want to do that, do give me a call. The number to dial 86 Let me welcome my guests. I'm going to be joined by three guests. Um, let me uh, introduce my first guest, uh, Dr. Uh, Boni Zungu uh, with the Wirtz University. Uh, Dr. Zungu, good evening and thank you very, very much for joining me on The Law Report. Good evening, Michael. Thank you for having me. You know, there's obviously a lot to talk about and much of which is as a result of the recent development, in particular, the death of the Zulu Nation's longest reigning monarch um, who very recently succumbed to COVID-19 related illnesses. Uh, but but that, that to me strikes me as something of the now. These have long history. It seems, you know, something of a miracle that a monarch or a system of monarchies has survived through colonialism, has survived through apartheid. And, and I thought a good starting point is, is really just to, to talk from, from the beginning and how it's transformed pre the coming to our lands of, of, of Europeans and, and how that sort of emerge and, and perhaps in that there's a story of survival, there's a story of survival notwithstanding, you know, the powers that the various European governments assumed for themselves, including ones of, you know, calling themselves uh, supreme this and, you know, ruling over what we would have considered as our monarchs. If, if, if you could just maybe start at the beginning and let's talk about how it evolves over this time, you know, uh, and the beginning being pre-European uh, arrival. Yes, thank you, Michael. The, the Zulu monarchs uh, from the pre-Zulu or pre-Zulu chieftains, you know, there was um, King Nguni and then King Zuzumane and then King Malandela. Those were the kings before Zulus were called Zulus. Oh. And, um, and um, because Uzulu was one of the kings mm. uh, of the Zulu nation, he was named Uzulu by Malandela. Uzulu was actually his name. So he's, he's uh, perceived as the founder 
of, of the Zulu clan. Mm. But before, the kings who came before him were not called Zulus uh, because that was his first name, Uzulu Gamalandel. Mm. And the, all these kings, as we have the king, so this car means son of, which means now that the, the, the monarch that we have, we have to know his history, who is his father. So you'll have Uluzumani Kamuni because that was his father's name, Umalandela Kaluzumani. And then you have this guy, Uzuluga Malandela, who became the king in 1627. And he was he was perceived as the founder of the Zulu clan because from then his son, Nkosinkulu, was now referred to as Nkosinkulu Kazul. Mm. Okay, and then the next king would do Ndombenakanko Sinkul and so on and so forth. So now when it comes to the to the Zulu nation as we know it today, most people will trace it back to King Ndaba, who was the son of Makeba. And Makeba is the praise name, the clan praise name is Tagazelo of Zulu people, whether they come from royalty or the commoners. When you say Makeba, that becomes the clan praise name. Mm-hmm. So most people will trace the lineage back to Undaba, the son of Makeba. Because little is, no, if little is known about the other kings, his, his predecessors. And then when we get to Undaba, the Makeba, uh, he was, they were referred to as chiefs. Like Umakeba was referred to as the chief of the Zulu clan. Undaba was referred to as the chief of the Zulu clan. And Undaba was the son of Makeba. Then after Undaba, we come to Uchama. Uchama is very significant in the Zulu um, historical lineage because he is the father of Senzangakona, who was Shaga's father. So Uchama is Shaga's grandfather. So most people go up to Undaba and then they recognize Uchama because Uchama is Shaga's grandfather, which is why when we talk with Ushaga, we say Ushaga doesn't call because that was his father. But it wasn't up until Shaga came um, into the reign that these chiefs were now called kings. Hmm. I think it's because of, of, of the manner in which he unified the Zulu nation and he conquered most of the, of the tribes around Zululand, outside of KZN, um, which is why now we have um, Zulus in, 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 in Zimbabwe. And in uh, then you, you, so, so before we even get to that, because the, you know, the, 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 the move to, to Zimbabwe is, is, is another story altogether. One thing just for my own education is... What what were they? What were they? You, you say they were not always called Zulus. What would was there some kind of reference or you know You know nothing. You know because I think you only become Zulu if you got to juxtapose or distinguish from something else. But if if you if you are the only people, you, there's nothing to distinguish from, and therefore you may not even need a nomenclature. Was there a name before? They were. They would use the car and prefix it to the name of their fathers, and they would use that as their last name. Like Uluzumani Gamgun, Umalandela Galuzumani, Uzuluga Malandela, and then from Uzuluga Malandela, then we have the Zulu clan, and then they started using Uzulu. Right. So, so there wasn't sort of there was there wasn't sort of a, a, another name before they, they were called uh, Amazulu. Mm. No, no. Okay, and and then and then and then the, the the next thing is when I looked at the 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 succession line, I was fascinated by the fact that the surnames change over time, and including the, the more recently, Zuelitin. Uh, Can you explain how the surname change over time? I mean, even and you you've you you've said some of it uh, around how Undaba sort of how it just all just came from Shaga's dad uh, or grandfather but even from the beginning because when I looked at that hierarchy I think it was one of the newspapers some some weeks ago it, it, it was sort of nicely detailed but I just couldn't work out why the surname was changing it didn't change necessarily, but mm. of course, um, if you are if you are a, a boy child in Zulu culture, mm. you have to definitely take your father's surname. But yeah. before they were called Zulus, they would use their father's names to actually identify themselves. That my name is Zulu, but my father is Malandela. <sighs> so when we say Nguzulu, Malandela, I am Zulu, the son of Malandela, which is why even for the departed monarch, he was King Uzulu. Because we still have to know who his father was, because that's part of his identity. Oh, profound! And and also in, in the history of of the Zulu nation, this 
uh, was mainly perfect for boy children, but we find Mukabai being called Mukabai Kachana because of the manner in which she conducted herself and the manner in which she she made sure that she becomes uh, the princess regent at the time for for her brother Senzan Kona. So this car is mainly used for males, but Mukabai was an exception to the rule. Let me welcome um, another guest, uh, Zolani Mkiva. Uh, uh, Zolani Mkiva, good evening, and thank you very much for joining me on the Law Report. No, good evening, uh, my brother, and good evening to the listeners uh, of Mkaya. You, you, you know, I, I, I don't just want to have a bias. You know, we, we, we are, in fact, a very diverse country, and I think for my aim for tonight is, is to have the richest perspective on, on just our, our culture as a people, and I'm, and I'm already... You know, almost getting goosebumps at just you know the the information that's just you know coming out uh, of you know uh, from just a brief conversation I've had uh, with Dr. Zungu. M- maybe just give us the the point of view of you know uh, uh, the, the Kosa uh, uh, nation and its history because because part of what I've, I've I've managed to read is that even now it's not it's not sort of a straight a straight monarch you know where it's just one um there's at least two that are recognized according to to the little research that i've done in preparation maybe just in your own words just maybe take us through the Kosa monarch or, or the monarch of of the eastern cape okay no thanks my brother the the, the, the question of monarch in uh, in southern africa in africa in general mm. is a very complex uh, uh, situation but um, i must say then just to mainstream and zoom in into the Tosa uh, uh, kingdom mm-hmm. that it comes from. Uh, the Tosa kingdom comes from the Nguni community. Mm-hmm. And Unguni uh, himself was a man uh, who was the son of Untu. So as we know it today is that Unguni had uh, four most well-known houses, which are known nowadays as the house of Amatosa, the house of Amazulu, the house of Amandebele, as well as the house of Amaswati. Yes. So, so let me let me ask this because you know as as you're saying this that you know often when I use the word uh, nguni I would then refer to 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 those those groups. But I, what I didn't know, admittedly, is that this was in fact the name of a person. Can we just talk for a minute about the person? Yeah, as I say, Unguni was the was the heir to Udu. In other words, yes. uh, he is he is the senior son who became most known of Undu. Yes. And one of the things that makes him to stand out and be distinguished is the fact that history says he had four wives. Mm. And out of those four wives, he gave that to these four sons who now make these four distinctive kingdoms of Abenguni, the, the house of Amaswati, the house of Amazulu, the house of Amatosa, and the house of Wamandebele. Okay. And all those four houses are headed by kings. All right. And indeed, they are kingships. Okay, so bear, bear, bear with me. So now, when, when I was talking to Dr. Zungu, she, she indicated that you know the we, we we touched a little bit on the history and the origins of of the zulu people but she didn't start with uh undu waganguni uh, and she didn't sort of sort of locate the history of of the zulus and and and, and uh, uh, as, as, as that far back maybe if if i could just because i need to connect these dots dr zungu if i could just invite you to explain how the Zulu people, as you've described, fit into Unguni, uh, son of Untu. Remember, I said Unguni. Mm. He said Unguni. Yeah, yeah. With to the end. Yeah. And then I said, after Unguni comes Luzumani, who was then the son of, son of Unguni. Yes. But in your question, you didn't ask. No, no, no. It's, it's not a blame thing. It's really just. Um, so <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm, I'm really just trying to understand. So it's just for my own clarity. I'm, I'm not. Placing fault. Yeah. I think because he speaks a different language, a different dialect. He yes. I said umguni, then I said umguni, umguni. That was before they were called Zulu, that's what I said. Aha, aha. So it's, sorry, it's me. So I, I, I'll take the blame. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think you missed that part. And then I said to my landlord, I lose money, lose money, come on. Right. So now help me here. So, so 
all, all of this starts uh, depending on your variation, unguni, unguni, ne? And then uh, the, now we have these four households or these four houses that are then led. Where where does, if it started as one, how did it then become different languages? No, maybe before we even get there. Sure. I, I wanted to say that these are, are related people, mm. okay? And uh, they carry the same genes and the same blood and the same history, mm-hmm. if you may, mm-hmm. as well as knowledge. Uh, the difference is that there was then the movement wherein as they were uh, children born uh, from one source but from different houses of that particular royal family. So one perhaps was born in the great house, the other one born in the pillar of the great house, one born in the right hand house and another one in the pillar of the Right and house. Right. So, for instance, Amatosa, therefore, mm-hmm. also come from, uh, uh, you know, the area just below uh, the Great Lake. Ne? Mm-hmm. And they, they, they were there. So, but Utosa left and went through the seaboard. Ne? Mm-hmm. And uh, in the area that is now called the Eastern Cape, he moved from the center of the then area called Natal and proceeded to Timbangulu, Mzimkulu, and actually crossed Mzimbugu River. <laughs> and then Umtosa interacted with the Khoi and Seng. <laughs> and then his language then got blended with the cliques <laughs> which are spoken by the Khoi and Seng people. And actually, Posa people then also intermarried with the Khoi and Seng people. And that's why Isitosa today is clicking. Mm-hmm. So originally, Isinguni, as it were, is the language that is now called Isizulu. Because remember that uh, the Zulu kingdom in Ernest starts during the era of King Saga, the founder of the Zulu kingdom. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, all Amanguni were speaking the same language, except then there would be uh, uh, just a difference in the dialect because of the area in which one uh, has relocated. For instance, Amaswaj also speaks Isingul, but there's a little bit of a difference in that dialect. Mm. But however, the language that is spoken by Amaswaj is also used by Amatosa as Isshonipo. Mm. When you listen to the Tosa speaking what is called the language Yogushonipo, the language of respect, mm. It is exactly the same as this one. So it's more of a terminology language, a specific language that is meant to communicate in a particular way where certain people are not allowed to mention certain uh, verbs and nouns. Mm. And therefore, that becomes actually this So I'm saying we are very much related. We are one people by origin, but through time mm. and through the conditions and through history, Many things have happened in between which have created uh, this uniqueness and the difference. Uh, that, but there are more commonalities than there are differences. Even if you go to the rituals, mm. even if you go to the customs and certain traditions, you will find that we were, we're doing the same things in terms of the rites of passage for young men and the rites of passage for young women. And some of those things are still found to date. 100%. Let me take a break. Let me take a break. Uh, uh, and then when, when I come back, we, we continue this very riveting conversation. We're back after this. The Law Report on Kaya 959. On the street, on the air. Welcome back. I'm in conversation with Zolani Mkiva as well as Dr. Boni Zungu. Dr. Zungu, if I, if I could just pick up, you explained very nicely to us how everybody was chiefs or, or you know, the, the various leaderships were referred to as chiefs and then started the, the title of of kingship and and that started with the conquering the various conquers that were made by 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 Uke or King Shaga and therefore would 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 sort of uh, maybe if we can just pick up from there and just talk about kingship versus chieftaincy versus headmen and how all of that was formulated into into you know becoming what we know it today if at all it, it is connected that far back I think the the, the, the kings or the monarchs mm. before King Shaga, they were they were referred to as chiefs mm. because of the um, colonial 
uh, powers who colonized Africa, you know, to them, these were not kings because the king was the king of England. Mm-hmm. So since um, South Africa in particular was um, a British colony, nobody ca- could be king except for the kings back in England. So yes. everybody was dubbed a chief. Mm-hmm. Um, and remember, it was the anthropologist who actually translated the, 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 the word in course to chief in, 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 in English. And for them, they could have easily called these, these uh, um, kings kings or monarchs, but mm-hmm. they couldn't be called that because of, of, of the power struggle between the British colonizers and um, the, the African people. And also because we were looked at as, as subhumans, so our, our monarchs couldn't be monarchs, so they were kings. And uh, sorry, they were chiefs. So because now they were reduced into the levels of chiefs, they had to head helpers. So, which is why in, in, in rural areas you'll find people who are called Izinduna or, or headmen who are actually um, the council for the chief, not the king in this case, for the chief. Um, and these Izindunas or these headmen, they, they, they form the council to the chief, but they're not, pre-1994, they were not fully recognized as, as people who are actually doing some work in the tribal councils. Mm-hmm. So when, when Ushagaga Senzangakona became king um, of, of, of the Zulus, then it changed because now the, the, the headmen were now chiefs of particular um, uh, tribes or particular, uh, particular um, clans. Like you find in Rwanda clan, they have their own king. The Zulu clan, they have their, their sort of their own chief, rather. Mm-hmm. They have their own chief. So these chiefs are now um, forming the council that adv- actually advises the king or the monarch. And also we have to take into account that the, 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 the English people or the white people who were around at the times of Shaga were not the same as the, 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 the white people who were there before him. Mm-hmm. So I think when they realized that actually this person is very, very powerful, hence the name of, 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 of King Palace, where the Queen Richard will be, will be buried. That was originally Shaga's palace in Durban, which is why Durban is called Kwakangela, because being the white people who were around at that time. So for them, they were beginning to actually negotiate with, with Zulu people because they could they could see that they needed something from them. Well, people who say in Tengunika, well, there's an argument around that as well. But they were not the same in terms of how they looked upon the king or the chief. Because I remember at some point they were called paramount chiefs. Yes. The king of the Zulu. So from being chiefs, they were promoted to paramount chiefs. And then from there, they were referred to as, as, as kings and, and as monarchs. So before the times of Shara, it was a different era. And um, even the monarchs that were there before him, um, um, when they were not one, they were not as powerful as he was. And they were not as, as what's the word I'm I don't want to say they were not as, as, as intelligent as he was. But in terms of um, war and in terms yeah, of witty. regiment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were not as quick mm-hmm. um, um, in their thinking. So when he came into power, then things changed. Um, so even even the, 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 the dynamic between the, the, the British uh, colonizers and the Zulus, the relationship, that dynamic changed. Then there's another topic. I mean, you and, and you touched a little bit on these different names that they, 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 they would give themselves. The other topic was their power, the uh, the colonizers to hire and fire chiefs, etc. And I imagine that would have then threw a big spanner in the works because now you're sitting in a situation where there, there would invariably have been rightful heirs that would have been dispossessed or, or removed and, and other people then placed. How was that resolved in terms of, you know, in the history of time leading up to a point where there's a constitution and democracy as we know it today? You're quite right in saying that they would just uh, put them in, 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 in on the throne and then remove them as mm. they saw fit. Um, for instance, if they did something that the queen was not happy with, they'll be removed from the throne. I remember after the Battle of Isandwana, after Gajwayo defeated the, the, the English um, regiment at Isandwana, he was then 
jailed and he was taken to St. Helena because the Queen couldn't take the embarrassment of, of a black person actually uh, defeating um, um, the British royal uh, soldiers. <laughs> and the Queen wanted to meet him because he wanted to see this um, black person. I don't know how use the name she used. But she wanted to see this uh, subhuman who actually embarrassed the soldiers at the Battle of Sandan. So you, you see those little traces of, of, of a sort of condescension from the British government um, and how they would treat the, 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 the chief or the paramount chief or the king um, and they would reduce them down to nothing mm. because they wanted to make sure that even if Joy won at Sandan, they had to break his spirit mm. to make sure that he would feel that I'm a subhuman. You know, I did something... Um, wrong, it was blasphemous that I actually fought the, the, the British soldiers and I won. Mm. So that was the biggest problem with the British colonizers because if, if they would if you defeat them in the war, then they'll break your spirit to make sure that at the end of the day, you conform and you actually bow down to the Queen, whether you, you like it or not. And, and I think if you're talking about this issue of breaking down the spirit was, I think they, they are well trained because that's exactly what happened to, to Robert Sobuka. Let, 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 me, let me just invite you back in here, um, uh, uh, Zolanim Kiva. And, and just on the topic of, you know, this power of hiring and firing, um, it, the Eastern Cape has, the, uh, has two kings, uh, uh, King Zuelonke uh, Zikawu, as well as uh, King Dalinjeb. But but we we know that that there's a, a move to phase out other kingdoms, um, uh, and that is the uh, Amakhabe uh, one, and then the uh, Abatembu, as well as Amambondo. Very so five kingdoms already that I've mentioned that I, I from my understanding would I would accept or assume that they're all for 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 the Kosa nation. Explain how that comes about. How how you know having started with one house. Now we're sitting with potentially what could be five from, from what I'm seeing. Well, um, as Dr. Zungu has explained, mm. the contamination that has occurred as a result of the interference of coloniality has created a whole range of complications mm. uh, for our setup and our setting. So um, mm. with the Eastern Cape, because Eastern Cape area mm. is the second establishment of royalty to have an interaction with the with the whites or the colonialists. The first establishment, the African pre-colonial establishment of royalty, are the Khoi and the Fern people, where they were exterminated in terms of their uh, establishment. Hmm. All their kingdom were totally wiped out. And then the white people then went inland and then they faced the Corsair. And for 100 years, they faced a very strong resistance of the Corsa Kingdom, which was quite an established state. Mm. And it was able to hold them back for a period of almost 100 years. Who led by whom? Come again? Who, 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 who was at the helm of the, the, the leadership? Of the Corsa Kingdom? Yes, sir. It was King Palo, King Kauja, uh, King Yimba. Mm-hmm. King Yimba is the best known king, but yes. the last war is fought under the stewardship of King Yimba's son because King Yimba gets killed in mm. 1834 where he got beheaded at the banks of the, at the Nabaka River. Then his son took over and he fought many battles. But when they could see that they cannot defeat the Corsa, they then thought of a psychological warfare, a cultural warfare, mm. uh, because physically it was impossible for them to defeat the Corsals in, the, in their own terrain because they did not only face them through the conventional warfare, but they also used guerrilla tactics. It was for that reason that in 1857, uh, Abelou, or the white people, decided to trap the Corsals in what has become known as the cattle killing or the non incident, where they had studied the culture and the belief system of the Corsa people. And uh, they deployed, uh, you know, uh, their own people to infiltrate. And then there was this young girl who was making hallucination mm. and making uh, 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 stances to say that he, she has met ancestors and so on and so forth. And people must kill their livestock and then uh, they are killed. 
uh, as well as their reserves. And on particular days, uh, after they have banned that, the white people will be recalled by the sea and uh, the Corsairs will regain their freedom. So it is only that... I've never, I've never heard the, the, uh, the, the, the version where the uh, Nungaus has attributed to, to white sort of endeavour. I, I thought that was a separate occurrence that, that didn't have white intervention. No, it was exploited actually by the white people. Even if the little girl had uh, some divine calling, mm. but that was exploited to actually disorganize the Tosa kingdom, mm. which actually led to its uh, uh, downfall. Mm. Now, I want to say that uh, the real establishment was the Tosa kingdom. It was the state. It was a formidable state mm. with a head of state mm. uh, in the form of the king that I have mentioned. Mm. Um, then there was a movement of the people as well who were coming from the area which is now occupied by the Zulu kingdom. Uh, Amambon were coming down, come, running away from other issues. Other people were actually looking for better, uh, a greener pasture. Mm. So Amambon uh, and as well as Abatem. If you look at Abatem, the senior, the most senior leader of our team is actually still stationed uh, within the Zulu kingdom. So, uh, Dr. Zungu will know uh, that is the most senior house of our team. Hmm. So, the Garden Gable house, actually, it flows from there. It is one of the houses, but it came to the Eastern Cape and it established itself as a kingdom on its own. And it was not the current dynasty of Amazlomo that is ruling right now that actually did the establishment in the area of the Eastern Cape. It was Amashlang, but there was then a, a coup within that royal family and then Amashlomo took over and they are still the reigning dynasty to date. But over time, these, because of the divide and rule strategy of the colonialists, some uh, of the clans and some of the tribes were not necessarily kingship, were elevated in order uh, to weaken those that were strong, who had fought, uh, you know, bitter wars with the colonialists. And the Corsairs is one of those houses. So I just want to tell you mm. that you might have said that there are two kingships in the Eastern Cape. Actually, there's more which are recognized in terms of the law today mm. in the Eastern Cape. So there's a king, Yamatosa, the main house, and then there is a king, Yabatem, as you have indicated, Yabatyaninje. And then there is a kingship, Yabatkao, Yamampond. And recently, there is a kingship that has been established which approached the court and said, actually, from time immemorial, they understand themselves to have been a kingdom as well. That is now Amampondomise. Mm. You know? And mm. I'm mentioning that because Umpond and Mpondomise were children of the same son as well. And uh, they were actually twins. So you've got those four, but over and above that four, you also have a two deemed kingships. Amampondo, um, in fact, three deemed kingships. Amampondo, Asenyandeni, as well as Abatebu, Basakhode, together with uh, together with Amakakab. And Amakakab have approached as well the government mm. to seek to be recognized as a fully-fledged kingdom. And it seems like uh, they are going to get that by the look of things. So you may end up with the Eastern Cape with actually officially five to six kingdoms. I guess I should now turn to um, an, uh, something of many people, particularly people that, that hail from places in which I hail, which is right here in Johannesburg. What is the role of monarchs today, if at all? When When I try to... You know, when, when one tries to read it, it's, it's to promote culture. It's to, and I say this with all the respect. It, it, it seems very notional, the role in which they play, practically speaking. And of course, there's the non-notional part, which is the allocation of land. That's more tangible. But practically speaking, what is the role, if at all, of monarchs in South Africa today? Well, let me give that the bite before I, I hand over to the good doctor. I'm sure she will cement what I say. <laughs> <laughs> I think what we need to do, my brother, is to understand our history as a people and say before the colonialists came here, the only leadership structure that was in existence was the institution of traditional leadership. Mm. In other words, 
this is an institution that predates the colonial history, right? Yes. Which was then attacked by the colonialists and brutalized and actually diminished. Uh, so my point is that the institution of traditional leadership has always been and it is and it will always be mm. the organ of people's power, right? And in Africa, traditional leaders, unlike the European traditional leaders, mm. they are the servants of the people. In Europe, the people are the servants of traditional leaders. So here, a traditional leader lives among his or her own people, servicing them. And the home of a traditional leader in the African context is a community home. And it is open 24 hours and people can come in. There is no gatekeeping. There are no uh, doors that... There, there are no big walls mm-hmm. for people not to see what is happening there. So it is a place of convergence for the people. So they play a role of custodianship insofar as the promotion, the protection, and the preservation of a culture of a people. One. Mm. Two, they have a legitimacy and credibility in the eyes of the people because they are developmental monarchs. They are responsible for the development of their communities. They are in the cold face of service delivery for villages and rural communities. So the traditional leader in the African context is not a ceremonial person. Mm I'll tell you, if a traditional leader has a car in a community, that car becomes everything to that community. When there's an accident or someone is wounded, that car becomes an ambulance. When someone passes on, that car becomes a, a hand. So a traditional leader's home and the assets of Ikomkul are actually communally owned. Mm. And the traditional leader cannot dictate terms upon his or her own people. Instead, he is told by his people what needs to be done, and he follows suit, and he represents what the people says. But he's a voice of wisdom, because when he speaks, he speaks about a sufficient consensus which has been achieved by his community. He pronounces on those. Mm. So they still have a very big role to play in a new dispensation. Actually, without them, many things could not be done, and therefore their relevance becomes very much more because they will, they also help in the decolonization. They help in many respects that talks to the Africanization and the localization of our countries in Africa. Mm. Dr. Zungu? Yes, I have to agree with with Zola. So he was right. You were going to cement what he said. <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> yes, they, they're still quite relevant today. Um, because, I mean, they're in, in positions of leadership, you know, and, and people can relate to them because despite being custodians of culture, but they're also custodians of, 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 the, of the languages that people speak. And, and um, if I make an example with the departed Zulu monarch, people would just respect him because they're respecting the throne because he's part of, of, of the Zulu people's identity. So they can identify with him. You know, unlike um, um, other people in authority who, who are there because the law says they should be there or they're there because of um, political affiliation. But a traditional leader is somebody who is there and people have unconditional love for, for, for traditional leaders. Um, even if the departed monarch may, um, his soul rest in peace, <laughs> were to do something that people don't like, but they still say, Shabbat. So you don't find people questioning traditional leaders because one, they speak their language. Two, they always, uh, in, in English, they say, um, um, the monarch, uh, the, the British monarchy, they say the people are subjects. No, in, 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 in our African cultures, you would hear Isidro saying, my father's um, children, or my people. He would never refer to them as subjects. So because is, is there a difference, though? Children, Abantubam, I'm a subject one. No, yeah, it is different. If, if I'm a subject, well, that's something else. <laughs> that is something else, because now there, there, there is a, a, a semantic shift sure. on what you want to say when you, when you call me your subject. But if I am your child, or if I'm your father's child, then the, the, the dynamic of that relationship is different. Okay, I want to take a break. And when we come back, 
we we then gonna turn to the very hot topic of succession. We're back after this. The Law Report on Kaya 959. On the street, on the air. Welcome back. I'm in conversation um, with two experts um, helping me understand the issues around monarchs. And uh, this is part one. What we're going to be doing next week is to be doing part two because monarch is not just Dunguni monarchs. We're going to be talking to experts in uh, the Khoi and the San people. We're going to be doing, we're going to be speaking to a cultural expert, uh, Professor Matole Mochecha, and, and just giving your broad perspective because I, one thing is for sure, we, we were never going to succeed in covering all the topics in, in just the space of an hour because we do have rich history and diverse, uh, diverse in, in, in its nature. And, and if you've just tuned in, I'm, I'm, I'm in conversation with Dr. Bonizungu uh, from the universities and she specializes in indigenous knowledge systems as well as the uh, Zolanim Giva placing at the Nelson Mandela <laughs> presidential inauguration you might remember that it's very vivid in, in many of our memories and also poet laureate who is also an ANC MP and advisor to Amakosa Kingdom that's who I'm speaking to and I think this is one of those shows that you really want to catch up with later there's a podcast that will be available tomorrow if you go to our website and and you can you can enjoy that because this is this is this is amazing because you get to understand in context where we come from as a people and I think um, I, I can't repeat just how many times um, it's been said that once you understand where you come from you are better able to understand who you are in present day Succession. There is a contest around the will of the late King uh, Azuelitini. Um, and if I was standing where I do stand, I wouldn't have imagined that issues of succession are one that can be governed by will. How does succession, and, 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 and that could just be my understanding of the media reports, maybe a more open question is, how does succession work in monarchs? And maybe let's pick up on, on the Zulu people first. Okay, Michael. Um, it's not as black and white as people would like it to be. Mm. Um, it's very easy to say this person should be um, um, the successor or this person should not be the successor. And um, I must put out this disclaimer that in, in Zulu culture, in Zulu monarchy, there's something called which is a council where um, private matters are only discussed. Uh, um, by the immediate family um, of, of, of the departed king. So I won't get into the will per se because that's, I think that's a, a, a matter for legal experts. Mm-hmm. But in my understanding and the research I've done on polygyny is that the, the first wife, the person who marries first, mm-hmm. becomes the chief wife. So the chief wife will have to bear the heir to the kingdom. Even if that polygyny is for a commoner, somebody who's not a king, mm-hmm. the first wife becomes the chief wife. The other wives are poor wives. But if, it, if the first wife in the who can't bear the, a son or a boy child, then it goes to the third. It skips the second um, um, wife and it goes to the third and then it goes to the fifth and so on and so forth. But that's a normal kind of, of polygyny that the first wife becomes... The, the chief wife. Mm-hmm. In this case, where you find that the first wife is a commoner, is not of royal blood, mm-hmm. then it becomes a problem because people are inclined to thinking that if somebody who has the royal blood has to get preference in terms of being the great wife. Um, then this matter is usually um, um, easy when when the king decides to take somebody from royalty as mm-hmm. the first wife, then it clears everything. But in the case where the first wife is a commoner, then it becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. As we've seen on the media. But we have to take into account also the fact to that in the Zulu lineage of kings, not everybody was 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 um was uh, from royal blood. Mm-hmm. Let's take it that King Shaga the Greatest is, is a perfect example. Queen Man was not married to send them a corner. Some historians even claim that they were not even in a relationship. They just did what was called in the day, which means they four guys, and then they say, if you were to date one of us, which one would you choose? And then she said, Israel Pezulu, many of them are corner at the time. And then they did what they did, and then Shara was born nine months later. But Ushara became the king, though his mother was not. Mm-hmm. Even married, she wasn't even the queen. 
Unandi was only made the queen after um, Shaga ascended the throne. So it's not as black and white as people would like to it to be. And there's a lot of argument around uh, to who is supposed to ascend the throne um, um, since the monarch is now departed. But it's not as simple as saying um, just because the, the first wife, which is the only is a commoner, then... Um, as a son, uh, we now take over. It's not as simple as that. Hmm. But I'm not going to get into the, the court case or the kind of marriage that Ndungulu Aga Ketom Tandayo has. Mm-hmm. But also you saw before the internment of Isilo that he was taken to Waketom Tandayo because uh, Madamino Waketom Tandayo is the chief wife. She may not be the great wife, because is of, of royal blood. But that doesn't negate the fact that Umandamini was the first wife. But also there's the issue of the fact that in Zulu culture, um, usually, as it happened with Indugulia Wakangelamangenga and the departed Queen Regent, her uh, ilobolo was paid by the Zulu nation, which means that she was, she was dubbed as the Queen Mother, as it were, if, if should the, anything happen to Isilo, <laughs> way before she was married. But also, we don't know what's in the what was discussed before the first wife, that is Umanda Minuawakitontandayo, got married. So I think that's where people are getting confused because what we're getting in the media will not be everything that is discussed in Ikunindu that I mentioned earlier, that is only attended by the royal family. So they, the ones who know what was discussed when the first wife, the Jizumanda Minwa Ketum Tandayo, got married. And this, what happened when the departed uh, Queen Regent um, got married, it was publicized. So everybody knew, because even Isila will refer to her as Midanengosi because she's the daughter of King Sopuza II. So just because she's of royal blood doesn't mean, because that is not the precedent that has been set by the, the Zulu kings or Zulu monarchs prior to King Kutuizolitinga Peguzul ascended the throne. There are a lot of them who were born by people who were commoners and their mothers were not married, but they ascended the throne. So it's not um, a strict precedent that has been there since the, the, the times of King Shaga, including King Shaga himself. So, so would I be correct to say even an, an expert such as yourself can't tell, there's no template, or there's no formula to determine who should ascend. It's, it's something that sort of would be subject to private discussions, that, which themselves are, are not without controversy. It's very complex, especially because now the, the, the firstborn son of, 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 of Ingunguliawa Ketum Tandayo is deceased. Mm-hmm. He, he, um, predeceased his father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that becomes a problem now because the eldest son of, of the departed monarch now is Umdanumisuzuli, who is the son of the late Queen Regent. So now the, 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 it would seem as if, even if his mother was not of royal blood, he's the eldest son, because now Prince Lechukula is now gone. Now, I want to turn to Uzalana uh, Mgiva, uh, but I, I still ha- have to sort of linger on this question somewhat, which is, does the king have a say on who's to succeed him? Maybe, let, let me just come in, in sure. general, without being specific, because... Mm-hmm. I want to give much respect given the fact that even the Zulu kingdom is still in the morning and yes. it's sensitive to talk about this matter. Yes. Look, there are great similarities and commonalities they have indicated between Abenguni in particular. Mm-hmm. So the provisions under the normal circumstances are the way the good doctor has explained to you. Um, the great wife, basically, is that wife that... Ilobola gets presented by the nation to her family. You understand? And there's an issue of seniority. The issue of seniority is under normal circumstances defined the wife is born of a king or is born of a chief from a royal blooded family, in other words. Mm-hmm. 
then that's what happened under normal circumstances. But you will recall that uh, there were wars which took place. And when there's war, then there's disruption. Mm-hmm. Certain things that ought to happen do not happen. Mm-hmm. So even even amongst Amatosa, the same thing of war affected them. But there is a standard provision uh, in terms of the African prescripts that that's, that's what it is following. So Benguni people... Uh, follow polygamy. So polygamy is not something new. It comes from time immemorial. <laughs> and and uh, then the houses get created, uh, designated, and then, then get anointed in terms of the packing order. <laughs> and the packing order is normally determined by being royalty or born by a king or born by a chief or born by another leader of a particular level. <laughs> so that's how the houses uh, are sort of uh, 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 anointed and you may be the elder son but you may not necessarily be the senior son or the crown prince mm-hmm. it doesn't work like that but the decision is taken by the royal family in consultation with the royal council there is a immediate royal family that makes the recommendation to the royal council and the royal council is an extended royal family as it were, where all the key houses of the family uh, intergenerationally get involved. So, but because there was war, which was either created by the arrival of colonialists, many things were disrupted, which led to many other things not being followed to the team. Mm. But under normal circumstances, things work the way I say it. I have two more minutes left, and I and I just got to ask this, and just from somebody who's reading newspapers, if the decision is based on discussions between the royal family and ultimately the decision of the royal council, is the will of any consequence as regards the issue of succession? Okay, can you repeat? Uh, can you repeat the last part of your question? Is is the will the supposed will of any consequence? In other words, do we need to worry about that will if 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 the if the decision is about what the royal council ultimately recommends or or, no, or directs? I, I think, it, as I said personally, I, I am not comfortable to address that question right. relates to specific questions. R- right, right, right. Okay. So you can give that to the good. That, no, that's fine. I don't want to go beyond your your comfort. <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 it's fine. Let me respect that. Let, 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 maybe time time will resolve it for us. Time will answer. Let me respect. I mean, for if, if I, I may not understand your, 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 your considerations, but I respect them. Um, we're still mourning. We're still in mourning. Indeed, 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 indeed. No, no, no. I, 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 I. I <laughs> yeah, let's not be specific. So let's rather deal with the metals from the point of view of principle. And I will add Thank you very, very much. I think this has been delightful, but also educational. I, I, I'm grateful to both uh, Dr. Zungu as well as to you, uh, Zolanim Kiva. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Yeah, and and perhaps there shall come a time when when the comfort levels will be will be will be eased and we can engage on this topic. I I hope to speak to you soon. After All right. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, and uh, to to you at home, I'm very grateful. I trust that um, you've enjoyed what we've put together for you. We are going to continue this conversation next week and exploring other cultures within our beloved country. I'm back next week. Good night. The Law Report with Michael Mutsuning Bill on Kaya 959. On the street, on the air. Kaya FM Podcast. Go to kayafm.co.za for more.